Book Three, Chapter Eight of The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood, Book Three, Hermit and Heretic, eighteen sixty to eighteen seventy, Chapter Eight. Agats and Arbeville, eighteen sixty eight. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Of less interest to the general reader, though too important a part of Ruskin's life and work to be passed over without mention, are his studies in mineralogy. We have heard of his early interest in sparse and ores, of his juvenile dictionary in forgotten hieroglyphics and of his studies in the field and at the british museum he had made a splendid collection and knew the various museums of europe as familiarly as he knew the picture galleries in the ethics of the dust he had chosen crystallography as the subject in which to exemplify his method of education and in eighteen sixty seven after finishing the letters to thomas dixon he took refuge as before among the stones from the stress of more agitating problems in the lecture on the savoy alps in eighteen sixty three he had referred to a hint of saussures that the contorted beds of the limestones might possibly be due to some sort of internal action resembling on a large scale that separation into concentric or curved bands which is seen in calcareous deposits the contortions of gneiss were similarly analogous it was suggested to those of the various forms of silica ruskin did not adopt the theory but put it by for examination in contrast with the usual explanation of these phenomena as the simple mechanical thrust of the contracting surface of the earth in eighteen sixty three and eighteen sixty six he had been among the nagelfu of northern switzerland studying the pudding stones and the bridgias he saw that the difference between these formations in their structural aspect and the hand specimens in his collection of pisolitic and brichiated minerals was chiefly a matter of sight and that the resemblances in form were very close and so he concluded that if the structure of the minerals could be fully understood a clue might be found to the very puzzling question of the origin of mountain structure hence his attempt to analyze the structure of agates and similar banded and brichiated minerals in a series of papers in the geological magazine an attempt which though it was never properly completed and fails to come to any general conclusion is extremely interesting as an account of beautiful and curious natural forms till then little noticed by mineralogists a characteristic anecdote of this period is preserved in arrows of the chase the daily telegraph of january the twenty first eighteen sixty eight contained a leading article upon the following facts it appeared that a girl named matilda griggs had been nearly murdered by her seducer who after stabbing her in no less than thirteen places had then left her for dead 
she had however still strength enough to crawl into a field close by and there swooned the assistance she met with in this plight was of a rare kind two calves came up to her and disposing themselves on either side of her bleeding body thus kept her warm and partly sheltered from cold and rain temporarily preserved the girl eventually recovered and entered into reconnaissances under a sum of forty pounds to prosecute her murderous lover but she loved much and failing to prosecute forfeited her recognizance and was imprisoned by the chancellor of the exchequer for her debt pity the poor debtor wrote the daily telegraph and the next day's issue appeared the following letter probably not intended for the publication accorded to it sir except in gilles blas i never read of anything astrian on the earth so perfect as the story in your fourth article to-day i send you a cheque for the chancellor if forty in legal terms means four hundred you must explain the farther requirements to your impulsive public i am sir your faithful servant j ruskin the writer of letters like this naturally had a large correspondence beside that which a circle of private friends and numberless admirers and readers elicited about this time it grew to such a pitch that he was obliged to print a form excusing him from letter-writing on the ground of stress of work and indeed this year though he did not publish his annual volume as usual he was fully occupied with frequent letters to newspapers several lectures and addresses a preface to the reprint of his old friend cruikshank's grim and the beginning of a new botanical work proserpina in addition to the mineralogy and a renewed interest in classical studies of the public addresses the most important was that on the mystery of life and its arts delivered in the theatre of the royal college of science dublin may the thirteenth and printed in sesame and lilies after this visit to ireland he spent a few days at winnington and late in august crossed the channel for rest and change at arberville for the past five years he had found too little time for drawing it was twenty years since his last sketching of french gothic except for a study now at oxford of the porch at amiens in eighteen fifty six he took up the old work where he had left it after writing the seven lamps with fresh interest and more advanced powers of draughtsmanship as shown in a pencil study of the place admiral courbet now in the drawing school at oxford the following are extracts from the usual budget of home letters readers of force will need no further introduction to their old acquaintance the tallow chandler arbville friday the eighteenth of september eighteen sixty eight you seem to have a most uncomfortable time of it with the disturbance of the house however i can only leave you to manage these things as you think best or feel pleasantest to yourself i am saddened by another kind of disorder france is in everything 
so fallen back, so desolate and comfortless compared to what it was twenty years ago, the people so much rougher, clumsier, more uncivil, everything they do vulgar and base. Remnants of the old nature come out when they begin to know you. I'm drawing at a nice tallow chandler's door, and today, for the first time, had to go inside for rain. He was very courteous and nice, and warned me against running against the candle ends or bottoms as they were piled on the shelves, saying, "You must take care. You see, not to steal any of my candles, or steal from my candles." Meaning not to rub them off on my coat. He has a beautiful family of cats, papa and mamma, and two superb kittens, half Angora. The twenty-second of September, I am going to my cats and Talo Chandler. I was very much struck by the superiority of manner both in him and in his two daughters who serve at the counter. To persons of the same class in England, when the girls were weighed out their candles or written down the orders that are sent in, they instantly sit down to their needlework behind the counter, and are always busy yet always quiet. And their father, though of course there may be vulgar idioms in his language which I do not recognise, has entirely the manners of a gentleman. The thirtieth of September. I have the advantage here I hadn't counted on. I see by the papers that the weather in England is very stormy and bad. Now, though it is showery here and breezy, it has always allowed me at some time of the day to draw. The air is tender and soft, invariably, even when blowing with force, and today. I have seen quite the loveliest sunset I ever yet saw. One at Bologna in sixty-one was richer, but for delicacy and loveliness, nothing of past sight ever came near this. Earlier on the same day, he had written, "I am well satisfied with the work I'm doing, and even with my own power of doing it." If only I can keep myself from avariciously trying to do too much and working hurriedly, but I can do very little quite well each day. With that, however, is my bounden duty to be content. And now I have a little piece of news for you: our old Hernhill house being now tenantless and requiring some repairs before I can get a tenant, I have resolved to keep it for myself. For my rougher mineral work and a mass of collection, keeping only my finest specimens at Demarcio, my first reason for this is affection for the old house. My second, want of room. My third, the incompatibility of hammering, washing, and experimenting on stones with cleanliness in my stores of drawings. And my fourth is the power I shall have. When I want to do anything very quietly, of going up the hill and thinking it out in the old garden where your greenhouse still stands, and the abbey, without fear of interruption from callers.
It may perhaps amuse you in hours which otherwise would be listless to think over what may be done with the old house. I have ordered it at once to be put in proper repair by Mr. Snell, but for the furnishing I can give no directions at present. It is to be very simple at any events and calculated chiefly for museum work and for stores of stones and books. And you really must not set your heart on having it furnished like Buckingham Palace. I have bought today for five pounds the front of the porch of the Church of Saint James. It was going to be entirely destroyed. It is worn away and has little of its old beauty, but as a remnant of the Gothic of Abbeville, as I happened to be here, and as the church was dedicated to my father's patron saint, as distinct from mine, I am glad to have got it. It is a low arch with tracery and niches, which ivy and the herba de la Madonna will grow beautifully wherever I rebuild it. At Abbeville, he had with him, as usual, his valet Crawley, and as before, he sent for Downs, the gardener, to give him a holiday and to enjoy his raptures over every new sight. C. E. Norton came on a short visit, and Ruskin followed him to Paris, where he met the poet Longfellow, October the seventh. At last, on Monday, the nineteenth of October, he wrote, "Only a line today." For I'm getting things together, and am a little tired, but very well and glad to come home, though much mortified at having failed in half my plans and done nothing compared to what I expected. But it is better than if I were displeased with all I had done. It isn't Turner, and it isn't Correggio, it isn't even Prout, but it isn't bad. Returning home. He gave an account of his autumn's work in the lecture at the Royal Institute, January the twenty-ninth, eighteen sixty-nine, on the flamboyant architecture of the Valley of the Somme. This lecture was not then published in full, but part of the original text is printed in the third chapter of the work we have next to notice, the Queen of the Air. End of book three, chapter eight. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith.